0: Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we'll hear about the gender wealth gap and some of the barriers that women face when entering the job market or business sector. Then, we'll turn things over to the CEO of the International Association of Administrative Professionals. My name is Siggy Reese, and joining me is my co-host, Teddy Majorca. Teddy, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing well. I had a great time celebrating Missouri Business Alert's 10th birthday yesterday. How are you doing, Siggy?
0: I'm doing great as well. Those cupcakes we had yesterday were honestly pretty awesome. And I just can't believe that NBA is 10 years old.
1: Neither can I. It has been an awesome experience working for the NBA, and I am looking forward to the rest of the summer.
0: I completely agree. Let's get into this week's headlines.
1: Let's do it. The latest consumer price index showed inflation hitting a four-decade high with prices up 9.1% over the past 12 months. The Federal Reserve appeared anxious over rising inflation, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that he needs to see compelling evidence to halt the central bank's plan of implementing some of the largest rate hikes in decades. When Fed officials meet later this month, another rate hike of three-fourths of a percentage point is expected, but officials have indicated a one-point rate increase could be on the table. Meanwhile, for consumers, the rising prices are inescapable. In the past year, gas prices are up 60 percent, grocery prices are up more than 12 percent, and rent is up nearly 6 percent.
0: The developer of the planned Green Belt Express Wind Transmission Line, announced that it will expand the maximum capacity of the line to 5,000 megawatts from the earlier plan of 4,000 megawatts. In addition, Missouri will receive half of the power carried along the line rather than only around 10 percent as previously proposed. That means a significant boost in the energy Missouri will receive from the line, which will carry wind energy from Kansas to Indiana. The Grain Belt Express has been a point of contention for Missouri politicians, with conservative legislators trying to kill the project over its use of eminent domain to seize land in northern Missouri. A compromise was reached earlier this year, though, to allow the development of the line while restricting future uses of eminent domain.
1: Emails obtained by the Kansas City Star revealed that Kansas City is no longer being considered by the National Association for College Admission Counseling's 2025 conference following Missouri's ban on nearly all abortions. And officials in St. Louis say the city's bid for the event has been put on pause. However, conference representatives say no decisions have been made yet about where the event will be held. The conference could be one of the first dominoes to fall in what some economists believe could be a chain reaction of companies and events doing less business in states that are instituting abortion bans. So far, there haven't been any reports of major cancellations or relocations as a result of the bans, with conservative leaders banking on the more relaxed regulatory environments in conservative-led states as being enough of a draw to keep businesses in their states.
0: In Kansas City, about 150 residents have benefited from a new program that provides legal services to people facing eviction. A right-to-counsel ordinance was passed in December, but establishment of the program faced snags delaying implementation until the start of June. Nationwide, most tenants face a stacked deck when they are under threat of eviction. Landlords have access to attorneys 81% of the time, while tenants rarely receive representation with only 3% having access, according to the National Coalition for a Civil Right to Counsel. Through the program, attorneys are representing clients for free. The service is expected to cost $2.5 million a year, and the city will rely heavily on federal COVID-19 relief funding. For our first segment, we turn our focus to Kansas City to hear from someone at United We.
1: And what is United We?
0: So it's a nonprofit organization that conducts research and pushes for legislation that empowers women and breaks down some of the economic hurdles that women often face. The organization also has a program that works to get women appointed to local government roles from which they are often excluded. The focus of our discussion today, though, will be on United We's work with the gender pay gap, which it has worked hard to eliminate.
1: And can you shine some light on the gender pay gap and United We's work to address it?
0: Sure. So a study from the American Association of University Women revealed that in 2020, women were earning an average 83 cents for every dollar men earned. And the report projected that gap was likely to persist for decades. But organizations like United We are trying to combat that. Reporter Sarah Rubenstein sat down with Wendy Doyle, the CEO and president
2: of United We. Here is some of their conversation. So first, I just wanted to ask you, What made you want to start this task force?
3: So the United We Women's Economic Development Task Force, it really was a a, um, part of our strategic plan, our United We Five-Year Strategic Plan. And we have been an organization that has invested heavily in evidence-based research. And really, we had updated recently with University of Missouri's Institute of Public Policy, the status of women in Missouri. And we wanted to take um, that quantitative research study and really just Test it and hear from women around, around Missouri. So as a result, we put together the Missouri Women's Economic Development Task Force. And that task force provided leadership to hosting nine town hall sessions around Around Missouri, so that we could really, you know, hear firsthand from women. And the task force role was to help us um, create awareness about the town hall's opportunity. And that was really the role of what the task force um, was. It was a representation of women um, by um, diverse industries as well as by unique um, geographies as well.
2: What kind of stories have you been getting from? female workers in Missouri that kind of launched this task force.
3: Childcare is a tremendous barrier that's holding women back to be able to participate in the labor market. So that was, you know, kind of a a key finding from all of the town halls is really child care is a challenge. And the challenge really was presented itself during the pandemic. So many of the child care facilities closed as a result of the pandemic and with no plans to reopen. And that really has put a damper on the ability to be able to find childcare, let alone affordable childcare. Um, which our status of women in Missouri really highlighted that, you know, infant care in the state of Missouri is equivalent to in-state college tuition. So it's extremely expensive, and really has put Missouri families in a position to have to choose between work. In family because child care is so expensive and that it's it's not available to everyone so that was a key finding of what we heard from the town halls what exactly
2: has caused women to like struggle to come back to work because of the pandemic besides like child care and stuff
3: we learned during the pandemic in the, in the workforce that you can work remotely, you know, and having that flexibility in the workplace is a really important to women. And that's one thing that we learned and heard as we toured around Missouri that women want that flexibility in their workplace and not every employer is you know um, accommodating. Now certainly we've seen a trend with employers in Missouri really paying attention to that. And because the um, you know the unemployment rate for specific jobs are pretty low, that flexibility is is the name of the game. So for a re- retention strategy, so we certainly heard that that flexibility is important. What we also heard interestingly is that. You know, as the workforce, you know, for, for women who may be, you know, having, it, participating in the labor market for several years, they're starting to experience their family members are aging. So being, having to be able to care for aging parents or aging family members and being able to have that flexibility in their work schedule to be able to support that their family members. So, what we heard and we really tested, which is which is important to United We is, you know, employers offering a paid family and medical leave policy, which not every employer does.
2: And how exactly do you plan to attack these problems? Do you guys have any action items that you're setting in place?
3: So a couple of things um, happened as a result of, um, we certainly worked this past session on a fast track grant program that the governor signed recently into law. And what this fast track program offers is a scholarship opportunity for anyone who has dropped out of the workforce and wanting to re-enter. They may need some continuing education. They may need some apprenticeship opportunities. They, they may be interested in learning a new trade. And there's the scholarship opportunity that doesn't require any repayment back to the state for eligibility. We know that about 80% of the recipients of the workforce, the fast-track grant program, are women. So this is a solution that we heard from women that would be beneficial to help them get back to work.
2: I know we've talked about, obviously, how women having trouble getting back into the workforce hurts themselves, but can you talk on a more broader scale of how this issue is just affecting Missouri's economy as a whole? and why this is a bigger problem than just women
3: absolutely and there's a mckinsey global institute research study that we've really um focused on that highlights women's participation specifically in missouri and if we can get women back you know in the workforce fully participating that we can grow Missouri's economy by as much as 15%, just by getting women back to work, by as much as 15% by the year 2025, 24, 25. So there's, you know, some great opportunity for Missouri, but it just is reducing the barriers for women to get back to work. But we also heard, you know, that also means not only going to work for a company or an organization, but it also means starting a new business. And we certainly heard loud and clear from women during the pandemic that they had some time to hit the pause button, you know, with that remote working um, or if their jobs were eliminated to, to, to creatively think about what could be next. And we heard a lot of women, you know, express interest in starting a business. We certainly know that access to capital in Missouri, um, you know, is, is a challenge for women.
2: I found out that Pew Research just came out with a calculator where you could put in your city, and they showed um, just the wage gap of women. So I was looking at the wage gap of different women in different cities in Missouri. And through doing other interviews, I learned about how when the wage gap is compounded over several years, it turns into a huge wealth gap for women. And so I wanted to ask you about
3: how does this wealth gap um, impact women in Missouri? You know, there's a couple of things that happen. One is when women step out of the labor market to start a family, um, there starts to be the divide between women and men and, and really the, the salary, um, you know, ability to be a wage earner, you know, the gap starts there. And then once a woman re-enters into the labor market after their children may have grown or they've, you know, started school, they want to re-enter, you know, the, the gap is just widened and, it's very difficult to catch up. So in Missouri, as you pointed out, it's about 78 cents to the dollar um, women make to compare to what men make. So you think about, okay, women aren't making as much as men for the same work. There's, you know, a, a challenge. But then you, you add, you know, they may have just dropped out of the workforce to start a family, not being able to contribute to retirement plans, you know, and therefore, when it comes time for retirement, and their, um, their amount of money that they've accumulated does not support the um, lifespan of a woman. So there's, you know, a significant challenge for women just across the board.
2: Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. Great right, to meet you, Sarah. Take care. Thanks, too.
1: For our second segment, we'll discuss the administrative professionals industry with International Association of Administrative Professionals CEO Melissa Mahoney.
0: Okay, so what does Mahoney's group do?
1: Well, it's an international nonprofit headquartered in Kansas City. The group has roughly 7,000 members and a footprint in 62 countries, with most of its local branches in the U.S. and Canada. The group focuses on leadership, community, certification, and accessibility for administrative professionals.
0: Interesting. So what's going on with administrative professionals?
1: The workforce is in the middle of the Great Resignation, and administrators are not immune. With executives resigning, many administrators either have to go with the executive or transfer to a different department. We're also seeing administrators start to get more leverage as companies become desperate to retain talented employees. Missouri Business Alert's James
4: Marshall has more does it mean anything to like your organization or even like members kind of as more workers try to push for the work from home? And are you seeing like a way that you can try to transition and get administrative professionals to work from home? Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah, actually it's had a couple of impacts to our audience. Um, The first that you kind of spoke to is we did see that our administrative audience ended up being the group of people who stayed behind. And made sure that the office was still functioning or that, you know, there were a lot of things that needed to transition in order to allow the rest of the workforce to work remotely. So figuring out the systems and, and areas of support in order to make sure that those things that had to have been paper signed before are able to be docu signed, or it was the admin kind of in the center of that transition who was stuck in the office, making sure that those things all function correctly or properly or running to the office on the weeks that somebody needed something that was only housed in the office. It was our administrative support staff that ended up being the ones that ran to the office. Are
4: there other kinds of challenges that you're seeing administrators face like during the great resignation, maybe even like from a higher up standpoint, getting people to work in the administrative industry?
5: Yeah, I think actually, um, there are two impacts that we've seen so far. The first is that their executives are resigning. So we're seeing the people that they support are the ones in this first wave of resignation. And so they're being kind of upended in their role and they deal with that anyway. So it's not like that's a new experience for them. They, They experience it at some point in their tenure usually. Um, either they transition to a different department or um, their boss gets promoted. So it's not like it's a new experience, but the fact that it's happening all at the same time, you know, there are a lot of admins who are experiencing that same thing, which leaves them feeling kind of insecure about their future. Is there going to be a replacement for that person? And will I have the same relationship with them? Um, And that really is the beauty of the, the, administrative support function being seen and used as a true partner in business. If if they have that partnership, what we've seen is either the admin goes with will make the move with the executive to wherever it is that they've gone um, because they've built that partnership and that relationship that, you know, they don't they don't want to leave it. The executive doesn't want to leave the admin. So they just bring bring the admin with them. Um, that has happened consistently. We've seen that Quite often with the partnerships that have really been cultivated.
4: So then, are how have wages been at least for administrative professionals?
5: I don't think we've yet seen the impact from the wage perspective, at least on a wide, wide scale. Um, and I think that I was pointing to that kind of earlier that we're we're kind of right on the edge of that impact being. of more widespread. So I am actually really anxious to see if it does create some leverage. I mean, I think we always have opportunity for leverage, whether it's given to us or not, I think we can create it. Um, But I think we have this really cool pivotal moment where we could create communal widespread leverage to anyone who is being impacted because I do think that companies are um, reaching a point of almost desperation to keep good talent um, because they know that there are a lot of options and opportunities out there. Um, it's really easy right now for an employee who is a top performer to go find better pay, better benefits, possibly a better balance, better flexibility.
4: I believe it was released last week for specifically the administrative sector that the unemployment dropped uh, actually between the months of May and June. Um, and then since march it's down almost 2% it's down 1.9%. I'm not, you know, totally familiar with like the specific sector, but is there any way you could touch on some of the factors kind of driving the rate down and then should we see that trend to continue? I believe right now it's sitting at 6.1%. So should we kind of see that in the next coming months move down into low fives, maybe high fours?
5: Yeah, it's a trend obviously we watch um Those trends along with just trends on, let me back up and just say the trends from BLS or any sort of data set system are tricky for our profession because our profession is defined so loosely. Um, We have hundreds of job titles that exist out there that could or could not be administrative support function. um, And the BLS honestly changes what they categorize as administrative professional pretty pretty constantly um and we've done some work to to really advocate on behalf of what we know should be defined as an administrative professional but it 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 is hard to monitor those tr- those trends and really know you're comparing apples to apples when the target kind of moves all the time and people who actually are in the profession sometimes don't identify themselves as being in the administrative profession.
4: Again, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
5: Thank you.
0: It's now time for us to move on to our words of the week. Teddy, what do you have for us?
1: This week, Siggy, I've chosen beer.
0: Interesting. And why did you choose that?
1: Well, a recent report revealed that Bush Light sales are up 4% over the past year, with 6 million cases sold between mid-May and mid-June.
0: Wow, that sounds like a significant increase. What is driving the rise in sales?
1: Bush Light is among the cheaper beer options, and with rising inflation, many people are looking to save money where they can. For some, that has meant trading in premium or pricier brands for value beers, and Bush Light happens to be the nation's top-selling value beer. Anheuser-Busch InBev has also made a significant marketing push with the brand, using social media influencers and events as a pathway to reach consumers.
0: Interesting. So are other Anheuser-Busch brands experiencing similar success, or is this limited to just Bush Light?
1: The other legacy brands, such as Budweiser and Bud Light, have struggled recently, losing a lot of their market share. And this has canceled out any gains made from the growth Bush Light has shown. The increase in sales also comes at a time when other light beers like Miller Lite and Coors Light have fallen off, making Bush a distinct outlier in the industry. Enough about my word of the week, though. What do you have for us, Siggy?
0: So this week I have chosen wastewater.
1: Aha, going from one liquid to a much less appetizing one. So what have you seen recently that made you choose wastewater?
0: So as more people choose not to get tested for COVID or opt for at-home COVID tests, health departments must look elsewhere for data to track the spread of new variants. The testing and examination of wastewater by water treatment plants has become an important key to identifying new COVID strains in Missouri.
1: Okay, gotcha. And how long have these water treatment plants been doing this? And how extensive of a network does the state have to examine samples?
0: So in Missouri, there are 112 sites being monitored, and some plants, such as the Bissell Point Water Treatment Plant, have been collecting samples since the start of the pandemic in 2020. With 60 to 70 percent of the state's population in the sewer-shed sampling program, Missouri has one of the more comprehensive systems, allowing for greater analysis of viral loads in communities.
1: So just how are these samples being used to help combat covid
0: Well, the data is extremely helpful at showing what strains are more prevalent and how likely they are to spread. Wastewater testing helped predict the rise of the Delta and Omicron variants and recently revealed mutations of the Omicron variant. The data doesn't matter much, though, if health departments don't act on the information provided. That has been a key sticking point, particularly in more rural areas, where health departments often lack the manpower and resources necessary to analyze samples, share information, and execute policy decisions based on what they learn. Now for our closing thought, we will turn things over to Wendy Doyle, the CEO of United We, for some thoughts on what it will take to return to the pre-pandemic working environment for women.
3: I think it's going to take a while to get women back. And we know certainly at the height of the pandemic, it was about the summer of 2020 that women fell out of the labor market. And this was reported by the U.S. Department of Labor, that women fell out of the labor market at at, the, at a, such a fast rate, um, primarily because children were home from school and they needed to be able to homeschool or be able to you know have their children remote into school to the levels of what it was in the year 1987. So women fell back, you know, tremendously as far as their participation in the labor market to what it was in 1987. It's going to take us a while to get back.
0: Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. From my co-host Teddy Mallorca, editors Ian Laird, James Marshall, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacey, I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.